Snap Studios. When I was a kid, five years old, we lived in what they called a transitional neighborhood. And in our transitional neighborhood, people kept getting their batteries transitioned right out of their cars. And my father says, he ain't about to be no mark. So every evening, he starts carrying the battery out of our Chevy Nova and inside the house. And one evening, my mama's making my favorite fried chicken, mashed potatoes, and red bean gravy. My mama makes the best mashed potatoes and red bean gravy. Pops grins over at me. You ready to tuck in, boy? Yes, sir. Pops walks out of the front door, says he'll be right back. He's got to get the battery first. Okay. Mama sets the plate down. I can see the heat wafting off the crispy chicken, and I'm waiting, waiting, waiting. Everybody knows mashed potatoes only taste good when they're hot. But I don't say nothing. Still, he doesn't come back from outside. I'm staring at the food, stomach rumbling. My mama tells me to go ahead and eat, baby. But I don't want to go ahead and eat. Through the window, I see our car hood popped open. My mother opens our front door. Bill? Bill! She sits back down, gets up, sits down again, then slightly higher pitch. Bill! Bill! We wait. Wait a half an hour, an hour. Two hours later, she calls my uncles, the neighbors, the church folk. People start filling the house and telling me it's going to be all right. My auntie wraps our untouched dinner plates in saran wrap. We'll say this for later, baby. In the morning, the hood of our car is still popped open. My mother sits next to my auntie, red-faced from the crying. My uncles have taken to knocking on doors. Church ladies moan in the living room, gathered in a prayer circle. Pops doesn't show up that afternoon. Doesn't show up later that evening. Finally, wailing, my mother picks up the phone to actually call the police. My father walks into the house. Bill! He looks angry and dirty, even as we hug him, me crying, my mama praising Jesus. Lord, Lord, Lord! A scowl stays etched on his face. Where you been? When my uncles ask, what happened? What happened? 5-0 locked me up, said I stole my own damn battery out my own damn car. That's what happened. A heavy quiet freezes everyone in place as my uncles take several moments to digest the words. The silence stretches, twists, expands, and finally, looking first to each other, then back at my father, my uncles howl. Sighs splitting guffaws, tears streaming down eyes, slapping each other on the back, laughing, 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 then growing still, only to erupt laughing again at full strength. Dummy! Says Uncle Elders. How you gonna get arrested for stealing your own battery? Get out! They can't stop laughing. Get out! My uncles shuffle away, cackling, leaning on each other for support. House empty. Me still 
clinging to my father's leg. My mother retrieves the plates of dinner, first places them in the oven, then sets the reheated food on the table. Then as a family, we sit down to eat. My favorite, fried chicken, mashed potatoes, and red bean gravy. Today in Snap Judgment, we proudly present The Feast. My name is from Washington. Dig in because you're listening to Snap Judgment. We begin behind the walls of a level two prison in western Michigan. And sensitive listeners should note, this story does reference police violence and contains strong language. We'll hear first from Michael Thompson, who was recently released from incarceration. And he spoke to us from his home near Flint. Snap Judgment. Within the prison system, as soon as something hits the TV, they run out their rooms. They run out their room and get to, get, to, get to talking to each other. Michael Thompson was alone in his cell at Muskegon Correctional Facility when he heard men shouting. They was talking in anger. Said that the motherfuckers been killing us for years. I knew what they was talking about because I seen it myself. Just like everybody else, witnessed uh, a murder on TV. The men. We're watching the breaking news of George Floyd's murder. They played it all day. They played it every 15 minutes. I just got silent. I mean, what is it for a person to say after you're witnessing something like that? Michael needed company and went to find his closest friend at Muskegon, Robert Cannon Jr. Hello. This is a prepaid debit call from... Robert. This call is from a correction facility and is subject to monitoring and recording. Me and me and Michael, you know, we used to always sit together in the day room. You know, we sit together and we called it our round table. We sit together and, and brainstorm. Robert and Michael ran workshops together in the day room for the other men. Robert's a writer. Everyone calls him Silk because he's good with words. He's written books and books of poetry, screenplays. At the round table, Silk taught creative writing. Michael also led a breathing class, and the two ran a workshop about forgiveness. We sit together and, and brainstorm about ideas, you know, about the future. But the day Silk saw George Floyd's murder on TV, he avoided the round table. He needed to be alone in his feelings. Anger at the system, anger about being helpless. Uh, or not being able to to voice what I was feeling, rage at at at, at feeling that that we was getting a the black men in this country was getting a bad a bad deal, so to speak. The poem that I <clears throat> I tried to write, it was I think it was too <laughs> uh, militant. 
you know what I'm saying? Because I was expressing all my anger and stuff. And so I tore it up a couple of times. You know, I wrote it twice and I tore it up twice because I didn't like the way it was flowing. I felt that I was just too close to it. And the reason why I couldn't generate my thoughts the way they normally come so easily. Emotionally, I was too close to the situation. On the day of George Floyd's funeral, the two men watched together at their round table. What happened to Floyd happens every day in this country, in education, in health services, and in every area of American life. It's time for us to stand up in George's name and say, get your knee off our necks. I said, man, now people are finally saying enough is enough and uh, standing up and they tired, you know? So I say, well, this, this may be the spark that, that, that light the, the catalyst, you know, make people become more aware of what's really going on. I say, man, we need to do something. I want to do a celebration. I want to do a celebration because I felt that was my, that's my duty to do that. A celebration of life inside the prison to grieve George Floyd's death together, but not actually together. You gotta be careful of doing a celebration inside the prison because what they can do, they can say that you are trying to form some kind of organization. And that's where you can't can't congregate. It's forbidden for men at Muskegon to congregate in groups of more than five. But Silk and Michael had a workaround. The idea, a feast that men would take back to their cells and eat on their own. You know, we can all come together with food We're not getting grade A food, you know what I'm saying? The prison chow hall is known to be pretty rough. So for this celebration, they decided to cook up their own feast with their own food. And so when you come together and and you're buying food, they want to be a part of something that's bigger than themselves. I kind of figured that nobody, no other prisoner within the United States is going to celebrate George Floyd like the way I wanted to do it. Michael and Silk put their own money in, and Michael got a friend on the outside to donate enough to cover chips and soda. They invited about 60 people to the feast, the feast they'd be eating individually in their own cells. Everybody wanted to be on the list. He picked some guys, I picked some guys, and I put the list together. Silk took on the role of logistics guy. His first task, enlist kitchen help. I'm uh, real funny about who I let cook my food or, or, or even, you know what I'm saying, I'm a stickler for cleanliness and stuff like that. The microwave kitchen at Muskegon is a 12 by 8 foot room with three microwaves and a sink. When Silk was in there, he had this thing where he watched people closely how they clean their hands and dishes and stuff like that. Earlier that year, he noticed this one guy making nachos, carefully layering cheese and meat in between stacks of chips. When you take pride and put love into your cooking, it it tastes a whole lot different than you just putting something together and throwing it in the microwave. So that's when I picked uh, P.E. Silk realized this guy, P.E., was kind of a microwave wizard. He tapped P.E. to be the lead chef for the feast. P.E. learned to cook from his grandma. My grandmother is the macaroni and cheese. 
I ain't never tasted nothing like nothing in my life. So I was a little fat kid. So, you know me, I want to hang around the kitchen while they cooking. P.E. is a meticulous chef and a clean freak. When I see a piece of hair in my food, I throw the whole bowl away. I just, it's just certain things. Just, just, just You don't supposed to do around food. You're supposed to be clean, you know, and take your time. If you don't take your time, then how can you enjoy it? He makes his own food with ingredients from commissary. Basically, an overpriced convenience store where people living in prison can buy pouched meat soaking in preservatives, an 88-cent bar of soap, deodorant for three seventy-five, shelf-stable crackers. You got, you got tub cheese with the spread cheese. You got jalapeno and you got mild that come in the tub. Then you got cheddar cheese and we got mozzarella cheese. That's like the sprinkle stuff. Then you got a provolone cheese, which is like the bar you cut and you got a hot provolone Beyond bar. P.E.'s compulsive cleanliness so and knowledge of edible commissary you know, items... He's like the superstar of the Muskegon kitchen. He has a sort of famous pizza recipe with a crust he made from saltine crackers. You just crush them up and slowly add cold water, turn it to a ball, and you shape it out. He makes lasagna with cup of noodles and cream cheese, pecan pie with a cookie crust, cheesecake with mozzarella cheese and a lemon mousse. Lemonade, lemonade Kool-Aid, the powdered milk with a little bit of regular milk. And you get the whipping, and it's going to fluff up. And it tastes just, I swear, it tastes just like cheesecake in the street. This guy thought he was a real five-star chef, you know what I'm saying, man? With that cheap, cheap-ass meat. You got pepperonis, you got salami meat, six turkey, something, something. A lot of guys who've been around me for years know that I can cook. So when they hear that I'm cooking something, they like, oh, hell yeah. We with that because we know he can cook. So Silk, the writer who wanted to bring everyone together summoned P.E., kitchen superstar, into the day room to discuss his plans for the George Floyd celebration of life. I showed him what I had, and then I asked him, I said, well, listen, this is what I got. $300. What do you think? Do you think this is enough for 58 guys? When he told me the, when he told me the number, I thought I asked him, was it serious? Because it was a whole bunch of people. And that list wasn't even complete. First, I was in shock. Truthfully, <laughs> and, uh, after I got over the shock, I was like, what's the menu? That's what, that all, it all depends on what the menu is. The menu. So uh, we, we limited by some of the stuff we can do. Silk knew the options. DIY meals in prison typically take shape as a wrap, a bowl, or nachos. So I said, listen, man, I don't want to do wraps this time. Uh, I don't want to do bowls because everybody's always doing bowls. I wanted to be something a little bit special that nobody normally does. Let's, let's get him a bagel. A bagel sandwich loaded. Once Michael and Silk decided on bagel sandwiches, P.E., the wizard of prison food, got to work, plotting a celebratory feast on a bagel. It's prison food, so how can you make it taste like this? So you go through, you've tried a few times with different things, seeing how it tastes, so this is what I do. I experiment to... See, if I like it, if I like it, I figured, like, hey, everybody else will like it as well. P.E. put his headphones on and got a notebook out and listed every type of meat, sauce, and cheese available from the commissary. And I started making combinations about what I think that goes together. Like, maybe salami meat doesn't go good with ranch dressing or something like that. But onions and peppers... 
to me, that brings out a lot of flavor and a lot of type of meats like salami. And- P.E. chose his favorite combinations on paper and then went to the microwave kitchen to start testing them out. Cheese with meat sticks, mackerel and garlic pickles, rice cooked with jelly. I did a lot of spearmitten with bagels and stuff before I decided on which ones I was going to use. He got his hands on every kind of bagel in the store. We got a bagel called Everything, and we got a plain bagel, but those, to me, those don't got the type of flavors I was looking for. He went with cinnamon raisin. Why cinnamon raisin? It all, it all got just like this, uh, let me just try to describe it to you. It like a, uh, like a cereal taste to it. The final dish P came up with was a groundbreaking fried rice bagel sandwich layered with meat, cheesy noodles, fried rice, chili, sweet onions and bell peppers, all layered on two halves of a cinnamon raisin bagel topped with a pickle. Dill pickle. You get that plain old vinegary taste. So you add that to something sweet. And a little bit of spice, and a little bit of bread, and some cheese, and some meat. That's all your flavors marinated together. You know what you get already. An explosion. An explosion. P.E. wrote the recipe down in his notebook. And then he started to worry. Everybody don't have the same taste buds. So when I come up with these different recipes and stuff like that, I, I do worry and have concerns that people might not like it. So the next day, he went around to every participant. With a pad of paper, rather than pen. And I go around and ask those guys anything that you don't like. Do you eat onions, bell peppers, um, fish? For those who don't eat red meat, we, can, we use turkey's meat sticks for it. P chased down around 60 different men about their dietary preferences and kept tabs in his notebook. But he had another kind of bigger concern. My many worries and concerns were about the officers because a lot of officers don't like to see us grouped up doing something positive. They'd rather see us going at each other's throats and beefing or going to war over some, some garbage. They don't want to see us unified. They believe that once we start to unify, we'll start tackling issues that really is our concern. So that was my concern and my worries that the officers in the unit would take offense to what we was doing to tell us to stop or go so far as write his tickets. P.E. had gotten a write-up for congregating before. It was called failure to disperse, and he was sent into solitary confinement. He didn't think the George Floyd celebration would get that tense. But if it did... Hey, it's a consequence of us being in prison, so we just accepted whatever came with it. But I know we was doing this with George Floyd. A week and a half before the celebration, Silk and Michael started buying ingredients from commissary. Noodles, rice, meat... Where where do you keep all the food, you know, as you're buying it up? Did you have, did you keep it in your cell? Or? Yes, I was putting stuff up under the bed, on top of the locker, you know, hanging from hooks up under the, you know, uh, you know, you have a hook, you have a few hooks hanging in, uh, along the walls. Silk bought over 60 cans of soda from the soda machine. I bought all the pops and took all of them to my cell. And was it crowded? Like, how much space did that food take up in your cell? Well, yes, it was. It was crowded. Themselves, it was about a, about a 10 by 12. I had stuff, believe it, I had stuff everywhere. Meanwhile, P.E. was in charge of getting onions and bell peppers. Vegetables, you got to get those from the kitchen. And how do you get those from the kitchen? You. That's illegal. Really? 
Yes, it's illegal. I don't see no problem with onions and bell peppers and tomatoes and squash and celery and stuff like that. But for some reason, they don't allow us to purchase it. And so the only way we can get it is through the legal contraband way. Do you feel comfortable talking about it, even though it's illegal? What are they going to do? <laughs> they can't. As long as I ain't got none right now, they can't do nothing about it. Plus... P.E. says most officers don't really care if they see you with a bell pepper. Like officers that walk down a rock and see you with bell peppers, they really don't care. But other officers be really mean about it, try to write you misconduct, like theft tickets. And so they say, oh, you can't get it no other way. So you had to steal it. And that's bummer. Over the course of a week, men smuggled onions and bell peppers out of the chow hall kitchen. They got a dollar per vegetable. In the end... P.E. had about a dozen onions and a dozen bell peppers. I let other people hold them for me. <laughs> the night before the celebration, P.E. gathered up the vegetables. Silk unhooked bags of meat sticks from his wall and slid packets of seasonings out from under his bed and brought them to the microwave kitchen. men head to the microwave kitchen with vegetables and meat for a groundbreaking bagel sandwich. But will they have enough time to chop and marinate it all? Stay tuned. Step Judgment is brought to you by Progressive, where customers who save by switching their home and car save nearly $800 on average. Quote, Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates, national average 12-month savings of $793 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2021 and May 2022. Potential savings will vary. Welcome back to Snap Judgment, the Feast episode. Since if listeners should note, this piece does contain references to police violence. We rejoin the story even as bagel sandwiches are being prepared. Snap judgment. We was on a time constraint. They take county uh, six o'clock in the morning, uh, four o'clock in the afternoon, uh, nine o'clock at night, then they take it again at 12 o'clock at night. Three hours between 9 p.m. and midnight to dice onions, chop and marinate meat sticks, Cut up bell peppers. I cut the meat sticks in like um, like wheelbarrows, like circles. That take, that take a long time, but you get tired, your hands start cramping because it's a lot of meat sticks. Silk used plastic knives to cut the onions. I broke about seven knives. But P.E., he had his own method. I use um, a pop card. It's like a credit card, but we call them pop cards because you put them into the pop machine, you get popped. They hard like a credit card. You got to wash it off first, though, but it cuts a lot of stuff. But you can't cut onions with a card, can you? It's actually better. Really? Because it's straight. You can take your credit card right now and take an onion, and it cut right down the center of it. You might got to push on it a little bit, but it's going to cut right down the center of it. If you peel off your, your outer bad onion that you don't want. After chopping, P.E. and Silk mix the peppers and the onions with brown sugar and butter. 
in a foot tub. Please don't, don't, don't judge us, but they're actually foot tubs like you get in the doctor, like the big pink bowls, and we get them brand new, and we use them to like cook and mix food in. So I have one of those damn near full. After three hours in the kitchen, once everything was chopped, diced, and soaking in oils and seasonings, P.E. scrubbed the countertops while Silk wrapped up the food in plastic bags. Let me reiterate, I said plastic bags, but what I did was, you know, they sell uh, tortilla shells, a bag of tortilla shells. I had four of them, and I, and I secured uh, Silk all wrapped the food in those little cellophane wraps that come around taco shells. We double-wrapped them to keep the smell down. Silk brought the meat and peppers and onions back to his cell, set his alarm for 4 a.m. the next morning, and drifted off to sleep, surrounded by bags of food. We didn't, we didn't have no, no real smells. Silk got to the kitchen a bit before 5 a.m. the next day. Before guys got up to come down to get the cups of coffee and all that stuff. P.E. was already there, assembling popcorn bags that he had cleaned with toilet paper pieces and saved to use as part of his microwave magic. He filled each bag with rice and butter and seasonings and put them in the microwave. The next thing you know, they start browning and frying inside the popcorn bag. He blasted the rice until it was brown and crispy. And then he added water to the bag a few teaspoons at a time. Steam from the water will start blow the rice over and start making the rice real soft. P.E. then seasoned cans of chili in foot tubs with the juice of jalapeno peppers, barbecue sauce, and a few packets of mustard. He steamed the noodles with seasonings and cheese. Finally, around 9 a.m., P.E. and Silk started to assemble the 60-something bagel sandwiches. We got these little tags with everybody's name bound, so it'd never, it'd never get mixed up. They had eight guys who didn't eat meat. So we made, made tuna for them. We had one guy, we used bread. He said uh, because we had all cinnamon raisin bagels, and he said he was allergic to raisins. But most guys got a bagel with meat sticks, fried rice, steamed cheesy noodles, and vegetables in a brown sugar butter sauce. And so when I make your sandwich, before I put your other piece of bread on there, I put three or four spoons of chili on top of it, so the inside of your bagel will be wet. So that's what we call wet bagels. If I had a choice, I wouldn't eat wet bagels all the time like that. But people like it. It's, it's, it's a great sandwich. It's not just a great sandwich. It's a gigantic sandwich. I'm trying to think of a good way to describe it. Maybe, uh, I'm going to use my hand. How do I say use my hand? How would you think? Like inches wide from right here. Okay, the bagel sandwich is probably about seven inches tall. This, uh, the homeboy next to me just said my hand is about eight and a half, nine. What's it, my hand about eight and a half, nine inches? All right, so I think the bagel is about seven inches. When they were all done, the bagel was seven inches tall. You got to hold it with both hands. You got to hold it with both hands. You have one minute remaining. I'm going to take you, I'm going to send it to you step by step how to do it. And you try it. Yeah, I would love I would love to have the recipe. At 11 a.m., over 60 men lined up near the day room for their bagel sandwiches. One of them, who the guys call Picasso, had drawn a portrait of George Floyd with colored pencils on a piece of butcher paper and hung it in the day room. As soon as P.E., Silk, and Michael started passing out the bagels, an officer approached them. 
Now, when he first came, when he first came into the day room, he was very aggressive. Like, what the hell is this? And what the hell y'all think y'all doing? We had like four tables together, packed with pops and chips and bagels and cookies, all types. So we gave out like a whole meal. He was upset. It was so much. The officer turned to Silk. He asked me the question, well, who paid for all this food? I said, uh, I said, I did. So he said, well, you can't just pay for food and give it away. I said, I can, I can. I said, if I want to get, if I want to go to the store and, and spend $150 and turn around and give it away, I can do that. P.E. tried talking the officer down. See, I was one of the more frustrated ones, but I was trying to control it because I know we was doing this with George Floyd. So I kind of, as I'm talking to this officer and talking to the other inmates, I'm trying to keep that out in front of my mind, like, we're doing this for a very positive purpose. But what I was thinking was, please just don't escalate the situation, thinking about the officer or other inmates. I just didn't want them to escalate the situation. Then they want to know who giving all these sandwiches away. Well, where y'all getting these sandwiches from? We just celebrating George Floyd. And then, then when you said that, it sounded like uh, something triggered off inside him. And uh, so he said, uh, uh, do the warden know anything about this? Did the warden authorize this? And they went, then they got louder and they got in his face. They got extremely mad. After about seven minutes of commotion, the officer left, went to the warden's office. I don't know what he said to him, but he never came back. The officer causing the commotion was white. And Silk says when that officer went back to the warden's office, there was a black officer there. The other officer told him, they're not violating, now leave him alone. And he did. With the officer gone, the feast was underway. We get each and every one of them a bagel sandwich. They got more than enough meat in there. It was loaded. And then they said things to me like, man, this is beautiful, man. This is beautiful, man. And then they then they started talking love. Love you, man. And that that's something that's unusual in prison. But they were hugging and embracing me. So man, I really appreciate this, man. Thanks, man. Before the men went back to their cells, Silk made an announcement. I told these guys to go back to their cell. I said, all I ask is you go back to your cell for eight minutes and 46 seconds and give him a moment of silence. Because I want the reality of how long that is to set in. And every one of them came back and told me, say, uh, say, Rob, man, you know, you know, eight minutes, man, that's a long time, man. He said, it felt like I was standing, he said, it felt like I was standing in my cell for over, uh, an hour. When Silk went back to his cell, he couldn't eat his bagel. He was too emotional. My emotions are across the gamut, you know, on far as up and down. Um, when you look at when you look at the justice system, you know, and you say equality is it should be all for one. It's not like that. That that hasn't been my experience. You know, I mean, how many more people have to die? It's, it's sad. Michael also went back to his cell after passing out the bagels. Well, I was thinking about the incident. You know, I, it's like a video camera in my head. And how could I go back to my cell wagging my tail? That that wasn't going to happen. Everything feels sad when it comes down to Unnecessary death. So everything started piling up on me. You know, you know all the all the thoughts and and the injustice I received. 
I was in prison for some dumb stuff. That's what I was mad about. You know what I'm saying? Uh, you talking about anger. That's what I was angry about. But the George Floyd thing, I was sad. But the only difference, I'm still alive, and George, 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 George is, uh, is dead. So that was a that was a horrible thing that happened to that man. Yeah. And that ain't the first time that that didn't happen. It didn't happen all across the United States, and it's been happening for years. And I know friends of mine that then disappeared through the years of the same brutality that George Floyd uh, experienced. So that's the reason why I want to, I want to do something because it had, uh, wow, boy, it had become personal to me. Silk ate his bagel sandwich later that evening. It was so good, he wanted to get the recipe copyrighted and sell it in restaurants across the country. He really wanted me to make the bagel sandwich. I was going to ask you about this. What's the hold up now? I just, I, I haven't really gotten the chance to get all the ingredients. <laughs> but I was thinking it could be cool to have you on the phone while I make it, just in case I mess up, you know? Just give me, just give me a... Give me a day that you're getting ready to do it, and I'll definitely, I'll guide you through it. Okay. You know, I, def- I definitely would do that. Awesome. It was good talking with you, and hopefully we'll, we'll talk again you soon. you enjoy the rest of your day, and uh, give my regards to uh, Mr. Parker. Tell him, uh... Thank you for using GTL. I never heard from Silk again. And the next time I spoke to P.E., I had to tell him what happened. He didn't know because of COVID restrictions at the prison. Michael, Silk, and P.E. were separated from one another weeks after the bagel feast. Thank you for using GTL. Oh, you get my email? I yeah. Think, I think today, from the last one, that's how I found out you was going to be home right now. Cause oh, great. I just read your email. But sometimes it takes up to two days for us to get them. Yeah. Um, uh. I don't know if you heard this news and I hate to be the one to deliver it to you. Um, but I, I got off the phone with Michael Thompson last week. Um, and he told me that Robert Cannon actually passed away. No way. Silk died wow. suddenly. Wow. Yeah. Was he still in prison? He was still in prison. Wow. And they, they're doing an autopsy. So, yeah, I think we're just waiting to find out. That's hard to hear. Yeah. Can't you put him in our sto- in the story? Yeah, he he'll be in the story. Well, what can I say? That would ease the pain. Absolutely nothing, because I understand the pain. Uh, we did eventually get a copy of the county's autopsy report for Silk. The report lists the cause of death as acute fentanyl toxicity. P.E. believes the cause of death was the failure of the prison healthcare system. When Silk died, he had emphysema, renal cysts, heart disease. You can walk to the officer's desk right now and tell them that you got a headache, splitting migraine, you can't even open your eyes. They're going to tell you to drink some water. 
for real. That's what they're going to tell you to do. And in George Floyd's case, they didn't believe him when he was saying he couldn't breathe and stuff. And it's, it's like a cry for help, not maybe literally, but sometimes typically speaking, like, it's a, it's a cry for help. Like, I can't breathe. Look at me. Help me. But people don't see it that way, though. People think we all try wolf. And it don't become serious until somebody did, like in the case of George Floyd. You have one minute remaining. He asked for help, and it was his help was completely disregarded. So how can we ever take how can they ever take us serious? Thank you for using GTL. Robert Silk Cannon Jr.'s funeral was in Detroit on a Thursday morning early in September. Michael was at the funeral, and he got up to talk. He had love for writing the truth. He was a writer. He had love for telling stories. He's a storyteller. And and he, he was talented, very smart. He was super smart, and and he loved learning. That's why he hung up and underneath me every day. Every day he was with me, and I've spent 26 years. As Michael spoke in front of Silk's friends and family, he started to get so upset that he could barely get his words out. Me and Silk fought close. He's saying he and Silk fought for prison reform from inside. They did a celebration for George Floyd like nowhere in America. We fed 80 summer guys. Some of them never had a pop. George Floyd's death was because a man had a police head, the law enforcement had a foot on his neck. But Silk's death was because of the lack of treatment he was getting from health care. And they both died. They both died. And just thank you, Michael, for those words. Robert was awarded to the state, and the state did not take care of him. And uh, uh, George Floyd depended upon uh, uh, law enforcement. And law enforcement failed him. It's all a joke. It's all, it's all a game. It's proof, proof, proof with me and proof with Silk right now in the casket. Uh, George Floyd's death, the only difference I see is one had his foot on his neck and the other one had an invisible foot on his neck. They both died. Silk's memory lives on with his girlfriend and soulmate, Dolores, his sister and brother, cousins, nieces, and nephews, and all the men who gathered together to grieve George Floyd's death over a seven-inch fried rice bagel sandwich. Don't you worry about me Oh, my lord When you hear
This story is a tribute to Silk, Robert Cannon Jr. Robert was 62 years old when he died. May he rest in power. A study by Vanderbilt professor Evelyn Patterson shows that time served in U.S. prisons has a direct correlation to years of lost life. For each year lived behind bars, a person can expect to lose two years off their life expectancy. After spending 25 years in prison on charges of possession of three pounds of marijuana, Michael Thompson was released in January. Since then, he's spoken about prison reform on the Montel Williams show and with Snoop Dogg. Marijuana has been legal in Michigan since 2018. P.E. is serving the 24th year of his life sentence for a crime he committed two weeks after his 18th birthday. He loves getting email via his JPay account, specifically pictures of nature. Special thanks to William Welch and D.D. Kirkwood who helped make the bagel sandwich a reality for the men in Muskegon. Additional shout-outs to Catherine Newhan, Stephen Carmody, and Dolores Ingram. And to Tana Ganeva, a criminal justice reporter who has written extensively about Michael Thompson's incarceration and petitions for clemency. You can read more about the men's celebration of life for George Floyd in her article in The Counter. We'll have a link at snapjudgment.org. The original score for this story was by Renzo Gorio. It was produced by Shayna Sheely. Yes, that was but one episode from the Snap Judgment Kitchen. Please understand, there is so much deliciousness waiting for you to devour. Subscribe to the Snap Judgment Podcast. Instantly become the tastiest person you know. That is right. Subscribe to Snap Judgment on your phone device thing to snap wherever you go. Isn't technology wonderful? What's more, look like a runway model in one of those magazines people used to buy with the Snap Judgment t-shirt available right now at snapjudgment.org Snap is brought to you by the team that eats everything on their plate especially the Uber producer Mark Ristich yes he will have seconds and thirds there's Anna Sussman Nancy Lopez Pat Masini Miller Renzo Gorio Shayna Sheely Taylor Cott Flo Wiley John Facile Marissa Dodge Gina Barriaco, David Exime, Bo Walsh, and Annie Nguyen. And this is not the news. No way is this the news. In fact, you could create your very own cookbook of recipes made exclusively of stuff that rhymes. The steak and cake, shake and bake, anybody. Gobble up each and every bite and you would still not be as far away from the news as this is. But this is PRX.